Welcome to Evil Done Badly, the worst true crime podcast on the internet. We are terrible. But I'm pleased to announce that we now have in excess of 10 subscribers on YouTube. Mr. Beast, look out because we're coming for you. I'd be shaking in my shoes if I was you. Well, not really. Either way, thanks to everyone who tunes in and subscribes. Wherever you are and whatever platform you're on. I'm glad you're here. This week, we've got an old-timey psycho story for you. And this guy, he's so famous, one of the dudes in Marilyn Manson named himself after him. So that's uh, quite the feather in your cap. And uh, this week, we're covering Albert Fish. And as big of a cunt as he is, he claims he was even much bigger cunt than he was arrested for and I'm pretty sure he's almost completely full of shit. Completely full of shit, despite the fact that he is a generally vile human being. No one doubts that. But before we get into it, grab a beverage, hold on to your arse, and let's hear the theme song. This episode of Evil Done Badly is brought to you by The Reality Show. It's the reality show where you get to pitch your idea for a reality show. Take a listen to these classic ideas from their illustrious back catalog. Nerds in prison. We take our wimpiest, dorkiest contestants and send them on a one-way trip to the world's most notorious prisons. Follow along as they get robbed shanked, and taken relentlessly advantage of. It's a rollicking good time for the whole family. And whose ass is it anyway? We photocopy celebrity butts on a vintage Xerox copier. And you have to guess who owns the butt cheeks. It's good, wholesome fun. And if you haven't already, join up to the Wide World of Paranormal Investigations group on Facebook and also the Ridiculous Thrifter group on Facebook. They're very silly groups with a ton of members, and you should be one of them. So join up today and tell all your friends. Beep, 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 beep. We've got an update. Our friend Gerard over at the Wide World of Paranormal Investigations would like to inform everyone that they've just blown through 15,000 followers and are getting ready to take over the planet. So you should definitely be one of them and not get left behind. Now back to the show. Albert Fish was born as Hamilton Fish in Washington, D.C. in 1870. Fuck. That's forever ago. So you know right off the bat that whatever information we have about this guy is probably hearsay twice removed and most likely not all that accurate. So in other words, it's just like all of our other episodes. Not really that accurate. I don't know why I'm apologizing. We're not that accurate. There you go. We're terrible. But bear with me as we sift through the disgusting details of what this guy is capable of. Spoiler, he's not still alive. He's good and dead now, in case you were wondering, so uh, let's just get that out of the way. 
Hamilton's family is all sorts of bonkers, schizophrenic, and delusional. His father was like 100 years old when he had him, so he died when Hamilton was five. Hamilton's mom had had enough of him and sent him off to live in an orphanage. Here, he was subjected to numerous beatings and whippings and was taunted with the vicious nickname, Ham and Eggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's brutal. That is so insensitive. Children can be so cruel sometimes. So he had enough of this ham and eggs nonsense, and he took on the name Albert instead. Like Albert's the coolest name in the world, but whatever. He also finds out in this orphanage that his penis works really well. Not like the last guy's penis. On our last episode, we covered Chikatilo, and he could never get it up. But this guy, he sure can. Not only can he get a stiffy, he can get them while he's being beaten. His little dicky gets all excited when he's uh, being whipped and he discovers his masochistic tendencies. And this will get a little weirder later on. In the process of having the shit knocked out of him and getting boners, he decides that he's attracted to young boys. And at the age of 12, he enters a relationship with another boy. And this kid suggests to him that, hey, drinking urine and eating poop? That's, that's something you should try because it might be fun. So he gets into that. He's all about the shit eating and the piss drinking. And he also spends a good deal of time leering at naked boys at public bathhouses. And he claims to have been a male prostitute in New York when he was around 20 years old. He also claims to have been prolifically raping and molesting children under the age of six. And uh, in between all this boy raping, his mom sets him up with a woman. His mom had gotten him back from the orphanage in his early teens. I uh, don't know how that happened, but either way. Uh, she hooks him up with a woman, a real woman, and they squeeze out six kids. So he's a real family man. And uh, he proves his loyalty to his wife by uh, taking a male lover to a wax museum. And while he's there, he sees a bisected human penis. And this fires him up and uh, gets the, uh, you know, spark going. And uh, he becomes obsessed with the idea of cutting up wangs. And, uh, okay, so uh, he's a little disturbed. And uh, when he's 40, he's 40 years old now, he's got six kids and all that, and he meets a 19-year-old man named Thomas Bedden somewhere in Delaware. And according to Fish himself, it was a consensual, sadomasochistic relationship. The relationship ended, though, when Fish took him out to an old farmhouse, tied him up, tortured him, and cut off half his penis. He then wrapped up what was left of poor Thomas's dick, left him ten bucks, and took off back to New York. Hey, ten bucks! I realized ten bucks back then was a sizable chunk of money, but uh, I doubt it was a good deal for Thomas, who lost a 
well, a sizable chunk of his genitalia. Now, Fishman here never bothered to find out what became of poor Thomas. I don't know if he lived or not, but uh, I hope he's doing fine. And that makes Albert Fish a real cunt. In 1917, his wife proves her fidelity to Albert and leaves him for the handyman. I mean, how about that? This handyman must have been quite the catch. I can't imagine why she would want to leave this upstanding fish fellow. This woman has put up with him long enough, so she runs off and sticks Albert with the kids. All six of them. And as big of an asshole as this guy is, there is no record of him abusing his own children. I'm sure they didn't exactly have it easy, but it doesn't sound like Fish was indulging his sadism with them. Now, his masochism? That's a different story. He did indulge that with them. He had this homemade nail-studded paddle that he used to enjoy spanking himself with. That's fine. Spank yourself with whatever you can find to spank yourself with. You do you. Whatever turns you on. But he was not happy with just beating himself. He would invite his kids to paddle him on the bottom. And not only that, he would also engage their friends in the activity. I can't imagine spanking an old man with a noticeable erection made these poor children very popular. That's fucked up. Great. Yeah, 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 let's go spank the old man. Yeah, oh, great. Let's go over to Fish's house where we can spank an old horny man. Yeah, great. Blah! So according to Fish, these neighborhood children were the lucky ones. In his late 40s, he claims to have used a butcher knife, a meat cleaver, and a handsaw to torture, kill, and mutilate young children. He dubbed this kit his Instruments of Hell. He said he would target the mentally disabled and African-American children because they were less likely to be missed and therefore less likely to be searched for. That seems to be a pretty common theme amongst depraved lunatics. Yep. Now, he's a depraved lunatic and later on he will go completely off the deep end and claim that he was only following God's instructions when he was torturing and mutilating these children. Alright! Okay, let me stop you right there, you piece of shit. If you're doing God's work, then why do you need your instruments of hell? That does not jive. Make up your mind, you fucktard. Now, if God was going to assign you this quest of torturing and abusing and castrating little children... You'd be using a kit called the Righteous Implements of Saintly Torment or something like that. I don't think that's a thing. I've never read the Bible, but I don't think the sexual torture of young children is something that is encouraged there. But uh, I could be wrong. They were fond of sacrificing people for terrible reasons, so uh, I don't know where they draw the line. In 1928, he suckered two little boys into his apartment by offering them sandwiches for lunch. 
These poor little fuckers probably thought they won the lottery. How many people could afford sandwiches in 1928? Probably not many. And that probably includes this fish guy. He probably couldn't afford a sandwich either. So these two little boys are horsing around, waiting for their lunch, and had a bit of a wrestle on Fish's bed. I mean, that's traumatic enough. I mean, yeah, that bed has to be teeming with vermins by now. And they're wrestling around. So they dislodge the mattress. And underneath the bed, they find Fish's murdering tools. These little shits get freaked out and run off down the street. Good for them. They were incredibly lucky to make it out alive. Now, they were still hungry, and they didn't get any sandwiches, but at least they weren't tortured, mutilated, and killed, which is a pretty terrible price to pay for a sandwich. It goes without saying, Fish has a few weird hobbies, and one of them lands him in jail a couple of times. When he's not torturing, mutilating, or killing people, he likes to go through the want ads in the papers and write obscene letters as responses to them to unsuspecting women. He probably tells the women about how he's going to torture, mutilate, and kill them, them and or their children. I mean, this is how you tormented people in the olden days before phones and the internet. And I mean, I gotta say, it sounds pretty foolproof, but this guy managed to get arrested for it and sent to a mental hospital. I have no idea how they caught people who were sending obscene things through the mail back then. I mean, it had to be pretty obvious. He probably had his actual return address on the envelope or something. The fucking dummy. But, uh... There'll be a little more of a twist on this topic a little later on. And in May of 1928, Fish is perusing the wandheads in the paper, and he finds a young man named... Edward Budd, who is looking for work out in the countryside. So Fish answers the ad and he goes to the young man's house in Manhattan and introduces himself as a Frank Howard, the farmer from Farmingdale, for fuck's sakes. If someone came up to you and said, Hi, I'm Frank the farmer from Farmingdale, you'd immediately suspect they were up to something and tell them to get the fuck away from your children. I guess in 1928, that wouldn't have seemed quite as made up and suspicious as it does now. In any event, they welcome this Frank dude, and Fish here offers to return at a later date and hire Edward and a friend of his. And according to Fish, his original intention was to tie up Edward, mutilate him, and just leave him to bleed to death. Nice guy. But on his return, he has a change of heart and decides to spare Edward's life. Not because he's a nice guy or anything, but because he decides he would rather mutilate Edward's baby sister, Grace, instead. I think the deal was uh, Edward was like 18 and a strapping young man and could probably have took him. So I think that freaked him out a bit. So, uh, yeah. He picked on the little girl instead, even though he prefers men. Boys, specifically, yes. So Frank here makes up a bullshit story right on the spot about having to go to his niece's birthday party and somehow convinces her parents 
to let her accompany this old prick to the party. This sounds ludicrous today. Nobody would ever let their kid go anywhere. I don't know. Maybe he bribed them with genuine sandwiches. Oh, hold on now. No, wait. He would later claim that he bribed them with strawberries and pot cheese. Pot cheese. I had to Google what this was. And pot cheese does not look or sound great. Especially when you consider it's coming from this guy. Either way, he wastes no time in taking her to an abandoned house, getting naked, and strangling her. He would go on to decapitate and dismember the child, bag up her parts, and take them back to his place, which was not in Farmingdale. He would spend the next nine days eating her corpse and getting away with his vile act. He got away with it because another man, a one Charles Pope, got fingered for it. He got fingered for it because his estranged wife told the authorities that he was a scumbag of interest and needed to be looked into. He spent 108 days in jail before being found not guilty. I don't understand what the fuck is going on here. Obviously, the last person to see her was this Farmer Frank dude from Farmingdale. And this is the guy you need to be tracking down. You got a bunch of witnesses saying this Frank guy was going off with her. And you know you sent the girl off with her. Okay, that looks bad for Frank. But on the other side of the argument, you got a pissed off ex-wife who's selling Chuck down the river. I don't know how this works. I don't know how poor Charles here gets blamed for all this when Frank looks so damn suspicious. God damn it. What's wrong with y'all? Anyway. Fish. He's home free. Because the police in the 1930s New York had, well, nothing to go on. Except for... This Frank dude kidnapped the girl in broad daylight with a bunch of witnesses around. Okay, just calm down. I have no idea how he just walked away from all this without being caught. He's a fucking idiot. He's a fucking idiot who likes to write obscene letters to local women. He also likes mutilating people and eating them. And he decides to combine the two hobbies. And it proves to be his undoing. He sends an anonymous letter to Grace's mom. And she's unable to read it. But her son can't. And what this letter spells out is a long-winded explanation as to why Fish developed a taste for human flesh and mutilated her daughter and ate her. Okay, like he's just tormenting the mom of the murder victim which is just I don't know bringing him back into the whole picture and obviously that's a stupid thing to do because it's it's a link and unlikely as this link is to lead to his capture it's enough of a link to get him fucked over here we go I'm not going to read the whole 
sick letter here, but I will give you a brief summary. And it goes something like this. In 1894, a friend of Fish's was on a boat going to China. And he got off this boat in China and was too drunk to find his way back before the boat had stranded him there. And according to Fish, there was a terrible famine in China at the time. And children under 12 were to be boiled and eaten so all the adults could stay alive. Now, this is kind of debatable. China has had some pretty miserable periods in history where people did actually have to resort to eating their families. So it's not that far of a stretch. But Fish is still full of shit. Fish continues by saying that this friend of his develops a taste for human flesh and especially loved eating children's asses. So when he goes back to New York, he finds that the meat stores there, weirdly enough, do not sell human child arse meat. So what is he going to do now? Well, obviously, you're going to steal two little boys and tie them together. And uh, you're going to beat them over and over again and make their meat nice and tender. He then kills the one with the fattest ass first, and after he's eaten, he beats the other guy a little bit, and, well, he cooks his ass too. This guy, whoever this guy is, supposedly keeps bragging to Fish about how good human meat is, and that he really should try it. Fish makes up his mind to do so, and winds up at the front door of the Bud family, pretending to be a farmer so he can eat their child. He then goes on to describe the whole despicable thing in gruesome detail and lays it all out there for the family to digest. He even adds at the end that he did not rape her, even though he could have. What a sweetheart. So how does this lead to Fish's downfall? Well, he's staying at a rooming house in New York, and the previous occupant had left some stationery from the NYPCBA. Uh, that's a big long acronym, and I think it means the New York Preposterously Crappy Bowlers Association. Oh, wait no, wait a second, I'll just look that up. No, it's the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. Okay, yeah. Should have seen that coming. Seems pretty obvious in hindsight, yeah. Anyways... The emblem for this really long acronym place, it's on the envelope, and it leads the investigators right back to Fish. And the lead investigator camps out at the rooming house and waits for him to come back. He eventually does, looking for a check that his kid had sent him. So, here you go. He's not really that bad of a father because his kids are still... Sending him checks. What a deadbeat. And uh, when he comes back, Fish's eyes pop right out of his head because he's just like, oh my god, there's a guy here looking for Albert Fish, not Frank the Farmer. He's looking for somebody of this real name guy. So the investigator confronts him and tells him he needs to come down to the station for questioning. 
And uh, Fish agrees and comes quietly. And by comes quietly, I mean Fish pulls out a razor blade and tries to cut him. The investigator gets really annoyed at this, slaps him around a bit, and drags him back to the station. When he gets there, he just flat out admits to killing Grace Bud. But he claims that he was actually there to kill Edward instead. I don't see how that's any better. He also explains that he never considered sexually assaulting her, mainly because, well, in the process of being naked and strangling her, he jizzed all over her twice. So he didn't need to get off anymore. He had done that. He's more about getting it on with little boys, and he spared her the sexual torment. Either way, I don't see how this helps his case. And uh, I said he was naked earlier when he uh, attacked the little girl. That was so that he wouldn't get any blood on his good clothes. There you go. Gross. After Fish is caught and his picture is posted in the local papers, more atrocities would come to light. Witnesses from 1927 would come forward and Fish would get fingered again as the culprit in the murder of three-year-old Billy Gaffney. Billy's mom would confront Fish at Sing Sing and he would shut up and he flat out refused to talk to her. But he would later pen a letter to his lawyer in which he outright admitted to the killing of Billy and described the butchery in great detail. He describes beating Billy with a homemade whip, slicing him up, drinking his blood, and disposing of the parts of his body that he did not want to consume. He goes on to explain how he cooked each part of his body and how he joined his fat little ass. And after he confesses to the murder of Billy Gaffney, he would go on to be a person of interest in yet another child murder. Witnesses would start pointing at him for the July 1924 murder of nine-year-old Francis McDonald. And Fish, well, why mess up a good thing? Why stop now? He goes on and he confesses to this one. Well, it went down like this. On July 14th, little Francis was reported missing after failing to return from playing catch with his friends on Staten Island. A search party was organized, and Francis's body was found hanging from a tree. He had been sexually assaulted, beaten, strangled with his suspenders, and had most of the flesh ripped from his left hamstring. Fish initially denied any involvement. But as the witnesses came forward, and it became obvious that he was the gray man everyone had seen at the scene, well, he just kind of flipped over and admitted his guilt. So he goes to trial. He goes to trial, and it lasts for about 10 days. Fish pleads insanity, and he had doctors talk about all 30 or so of his different sexual fetishes. He claimed God told him to do the murders, and said that if God was upset by his actions, well... God could always just send down his angels to stop him from doing whatever was upsetting him, so therefore it must have been okay with God. Okay, he's loony, and 
one of the exhibits that the defense uses to prove how loony he is is an x-ray of Bish's pelvic region. Over the years, he had inserted at least 29 sewing needles into his taint. He claimed he used to just get his kicks by poking himself in the taint, but some needles got stuck too deep in there to retrieve, so he just started leaving them there. So as you can see, insanity is totally on the table. And in his defense, it's also pointed out that he never once hurt one of his own children. And he did the best job a single father of six could have done. Uh, I'm not sure that helps the defense's case here. Uh, because, well, that makes him sound at least slightly coherent and less wacky. So, the prosecution points out that Fish knew the difference between right and wrong. He just had a warped, religious way of justifying the brutality. He was mutilating, eating, and castrating boys in the name of the Almighty. Yep, that's pretty fucking warped. But it sort of proves he's kind of sane. But what do the jurors have to say about it? Well, they think he's fucking bonkers. Well, they realistically found him to be insane. But they wanted him to die anyway. So they legally, legally found him sane, guilty, and worthy of death. Not really sane, but, well, sir, you're good to go because we're going to fry you no matter how sane or insane you are. Doesn't matter. So he's sentenced to death. Yay! And in January of 1936, he's electrocuted. Legend has it that it took longer than normal for him to croak because the needles inside him shagged up the electrical current. Okay. I like to think he spent his last three minutes in agony. So I'm going to go with that. And he's fried and he's buried in some sort of prison, graveyard, unceremoniously. Yay! Get rid of him. He's admitted to three murders. He's suspected in about a dozen more. But he never admitted to any other particular murder while he was alive. But as a more, you know, general type of admission, he claimed to have done at least one murder in each of the 23 states he spent time in. He also claims to have sexually assaulted over 100 young boys. Mostly marginalized ones to avoid detection. And uh, I think the common conception of all of this is he's killed three people and realistically he's probably killed a few more. Probably maybe ten. But we think he's really uh, just kind of blowing it all out of proportion just because just he figures it's cool at this point. Anyway... Anyway, whatever happened, any way this shakes out, he's one hell of a cunt, and he got what was coming to him. And there you have it. Another mind-blowingly stupid 
episode of the worst true crime podcast ever, Evil Done Badly, is over and done with. If you would like to reach out and suggest future episode topics, we can be reached on Instagram at Evil Done Badly or by email at EvilDoneBadly at gmail.com. So thank you for listening. My name is Dick, and I hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.